uh, if you are unfamiliar with that, that's the movie Gladiator, and I will be um, rethinking my friendship with you. Um, <laughs> while, um, while I'm doing that, for those of you who are not familiar, I will um, just kind of recap it for you a little bit. The movie Gladiator, Gladiator in the movie, um, what happens is the emperor, Marcus Aurelius, asks him, Marcus Aurelius is dying, says, Gladiator, Maximus, I want you to take my place. I want you to be the next leader of Rome. His son, the sniveling little Commodus, <laughs> finds out about the plan and tries to have Maximus killed. He thinks he's successful, and he also murders Maximus's family. And the movie is the story of Maximus seeking his vengeance upon Commodus. We love movies like this, right? We love a good vengeance revenge story. And it's because we are hardwired with the capacity for justice. We are made in God's image, and God is a just God. Unfortunately, that justice that God created in us gets all twisted up with the rest of the stuff that we carry around in us called sin. And justice gets turned into vengeance and revenge. This, this is something that Jesus calls us to take a stand on and calls us to stop. God is so perfectly just, so perfect in his character, so perfectly wise, so perfectly loving, that he went to the cross, paid the price for the sin that was on us so that justice would be served and we could spend eternity with him. That kind of love is is unreal, it's revolutionary, it's shocking. And that's the kind of love that Jesus offers to us. That's the kind of love that enables us to stand when we're confronted with wrongdoing, when we're confronted with injustice, when somebody harms us, when somebody speaks poorly of us. Get that aside with the first uh, yellow letters, there we go. The love of Jesus is nothing short of revolutionary. This love moves us to grab onto Jesus and on our identity in him, and enables us to let go of revenge and retaliation. That's our big idea for this morning. That's what we're going to think about as we move on in our series on the Gospel of Matthew. We had mentioned that we're in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' first um, sermon. And in the Sermon on the Mount, he is setting the stage. He is, for his listeners then and for us, he's describing what the outcomes are of a transformed heart and mind. When we allow Jesus to do the work inside of us, our thoughts and our feelings, they move us to a point where we are capable of that incredible love that we can, we can shock people with it. We're going to jump right in. We're looking at Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to be reading verses 38 to 42. You have heard that it was said, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist the evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn Turn to him the other also, and if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Four simple verses, we'll break them down to pieces, because I really, we've lost how, how shocking what Jesus um, what he was calling his disciples, what he calls us to. We've lost just how revolutionary it was. So, 
in verse in verse 38. You have that that slide, Nick. You have heard it said, "Eye for an eye." This is in reference to the law of retaliation, lex talionis, and it was an ancient law. Many ancient cultures had it, but the the Israelite culture was different in that it was applied equally across classes, foreigners, slaves, anybody who was within the Israelite community, this applied to, and it was a limiting law. If someone hit you and you lost your eye, you could not punish that person above and beyond taking their eye. It was supposed to keep people in check. It was meant for courts and society at large. It was never meant for individuals. But because of the Roman occupation of Jerusalem and the, the Jewish people, the Jewish leaders had very little they could do to protect their people. So the people would take vengeance into, onto their own hands. This idea of revenge was something that they felt they had to do in order to um, protect protect themselves. It was never meant to be that way. It was meant they took a law that was meant to limit punishment, and they took it as a mandate for personal revenge. Verse thirty nine. Put that up. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to them the other also. All right, so here's um, the right cheek. The assumption was made, I guess it was even more common back then, that um, the person in question was right-handed. That's why it's specified right cheek. So if you're going to slap somebody on the right cheek with your right hand, it's going to be backhanded. Scruff, come here. I want to demonstrate. No, 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 no. I'm not, I'm not really going to. Right? So it's, it's not like um, an injury so much as it is an insult. You backhand slap somebody and it's an insult. And that word resist is about um, don't take somebody to court over it. You've been insulted because the society back then, believe it or not, was almost as litigious they were almost as sue happy as we are today. So Jesus is saying, if somebody insults you, it's not worth it. Just move on. Next verse. If anyone wants to sue you and take your tunic, hand over your cloak as well. So again, you guys, we, got, we have to get our minds into the culture that we're thinking about, right? The, you hand over your tunic as well. Jesus is telling them that they are to put people above possessions. The law said if you're a creditor or somebody owes you, you can take everything from them except their cloak. You have to allow them to keep their cloak so they can stay warm. That's the last bit of anything that they had to, to stay warm. And Jesus says, nope, give them that too. Verse, 40, uh, verse 41. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. I mentioned the Roman occupation. So Roman soldiers had a bunch of gear, and they would stop the Jewish people, and they'd say, you need to carry our gear with us, our gear for us. But they weren't allowed to make them do that for more than a mile. Jesus is saying, forget that. Go two miles. Go more. Last one. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. The original language, what this is saying is, um, don't question a person's motives, for why they're asking, and don't worry about whether they can pay you back or not. So these 
I keep saying shocking because I want you to get the idea this stuff was shocking. Right? It was the, these ideas were revolutionary, and the culture and what Jesus was saying was was asking people to do. He was describing for them the outcome of a transformed heart and mind. He was calling people to shocking humility. He was calling them to shocking integrity. He was calling them to shocking service. He was calling them to shocking generosity. Next slide, please. Right, this, like, the idea of humility, that it's just an insult. Somebody else, being able to reach somebody, being able to show love to somebody is way more important than taking them to court. The idea of that shocking integrity is that we don't have to be so, we don't have to be afraid of not having our, our cloak. Jesus is going to take care of us. That service, Jesus calls us to go above and beyond, and not just for the people that we love and we care about, but for our enemies, for the people who are opposed to us, the people that we disagree with. And that shocking generosity, I mean, just give. Give without question. And so many times I'll be in conversations, and, and I've even asked this question over the course of time. You see a homeless person on the street or somebody panhandling as you pull up to an intersection, like, oh, well, how do I know what they're going to do with the money? Maybe they're going to go buy drugs and alcohol. She's saying, don't ask, just give. All right, so a couple of things when you read this list, even now, right? It was shocking back then, but what Jesus is calling us to, we could be like, well, all right, man, that sounds... Um, I don't want to come off as weak. And it also just could be just foolish. Doesn't make doesn't make sense. And if I were going to pursue those things, man, that's going to be be a struggle. And it's going to be so much more struggle. Like it, it just might be, it might be impossible. But the more we get to know Jesus, the more we get to know about him, the more we discover that it's going to take supernatural strength and wisdom that only Jesus could provide to do this. And yes, it's going to take a fight. And the fight is for the hearts and minds of people everywhere. And the weapon that Jesus provides for us is love. His love in us and through us. And it's only possible, only possible in and through Him. This love that we receive from Jesus is, is transformative, it's revolutionary. <laughs> We get, there are two things that happen when we come into a relationship with Jesus. Next slide, please. Being in a relationship with Jesus tells us whose and who we are. This is not my, I didn't come up with this phrase. I didn't write this. People have said this many, many times. And this is what we're going to talk about for the rest of our time together. Whose, who we belong to, and who we are, our identity. So I'm going to start with um, whose. We're going to look at another piece of, of scripture. We're going to look at... Uh, 1 Corinthians 6, and I think we're in 19 and 20. That's Romans. Here we go. Do you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. We inherited this sin condition, this underlying thing that's in all of us that started way back when with Adam and Eve in the garden that separates us from God. 
it's the cause of when we, when we lie to each other, or we cheat, or we steal, or we get prideful. That underlying condition. And God created us to be in relationship with Him, and He wanted to restore that. But there had to be a price that was paid for that sin. And that price was put on Jesus. Jesus laid down everything. He, let's think about this. Jesus stepped out of heaven. Jesus was in heaven with God and the Holy Spirit, hanging out, having a good time. Heaven, I can't imagine, gold streets, beautiful, everything. And he decides to come here. Beautiful, but not heaven. And he, he lives life as one of us with the limitations of every other human being. But he lives it perfectly. And then he dies an innocent death, a death that we deserve. But because he's Jesus, because he lived a perfect life, he beat death and he rose from the grave. And in doing that, he he freed us. So, again, Jesus, an infinite being, he's always existed, always will exist, eternal. His character is complete in every facet. Any trait you want to think of, Jesus' character is, is complete in it. And he laid that all down. Infinite and eternal, given up for us. We can't possibly do the math to come up with a price tag for what Jesus did, for the infinite and the eternal. You know what that means? That means, Charlie, you're priceless. Lauren, you're priceless. Do you guys get that? You are priceless. Stacy, you're priceless. Jim, you're priceless, buddy. I don't care what message you heard growing up from your parents. I don't care how many Instagram followers you have or don't have. I don't care what the cool kids at work and at school think or say. The God of the universe bought you at a price that we could never fathom. You are priceless. When we have that, when we have that love from Jesus, we have that infinite, eternal love. The love of Jesus in us, we have his protection. And when we have his protection, we are freed to love without fear of rejection. Now that doesn't mean we're not going to get rejected. I can guarantee you, you will get rejected, unfortunately. People who you are close to will hurt you. People who you trust will betray you. But because you belong to Jesus, you are protected. And he, let me, let me read the next verse. I want Roman to talk about the idea of Jesus protecting you. We're going to look at this passage and one more. This is Romans chapter 12 and 19 and 20. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, It is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. 
If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will keep burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So a couple things about those verses and about how God protects us. It says, leave room, leave room for God's vengeance. In doing that, we display not only to the people around us, but to God as well, that we have put our faith and our trust in him. We don't have to go seeking revenge and retaliation because God says it's a promise, right? Every promise is yes and amen in Jesus. It's a promise from the God of the universe that says there will be vengeance. And the vengeance is his and it will be perfect and complete and it will, it will not be an overshot. It will not be under what the, the crime was worth. And I know some of your stories and I know you've lived some, through some horrible things. But God will make those things right. We have to trust Him and let Him do those things. And the, but the verse goes on from there. It doesn't just say wait for, wait for God's vengeance. It says to feed them and to give them water. Because when we, when we return good for evil, we can bring about change. But when we return evil for evil, the only thing that happens is we get more of the same. It's a vicious vicious cycle. And that, that idea of the burning coals, in scripture, burning coals represent purification. That whole Romans chapter 12 is Paul talking to believers about how to love people. The whole chapter. And he gets really specific there about loving people who are wronged you, loving people who are opposed to you. And so, our, our hope, our best interest, our prayers, our actions are supposed to be for those people. So in heaping burning coals on people, it's not like some ulterior motive, passive-aggressive kind of thing. We want them to get right with God. We want them to be walking with Jesus. It's a really counterintuitive thing. It doesn't make sense. And, and outside of Jesus and trust in Him and belonging to Him, it doesn't make sense. But in Him, it makes absolute sense. Because who you are determines who you are. If you, if you belong to the world, the world and its bitterness and its harsh voice and its critics, they're going to own your self-image. If you belong to a relationship, a spouse, a, a friend, a group of friends, those people are going to own your self-esteem. If you belong to the idea of a relationship, if you desperately want to be married, or you desperately have a kid, but you want the perfect kid, the lack of that stuff is going to dictate what you're worth. If, if your appearance is what owns you, the mirror is going to dictate how you feel about yourself. But folks, when Jesus, when you belong to Jesus, I'm sorry, I'm pointing, I'm getting all fired up. Um, when you belong to Jesus, he has some things to say about you, about who you are are. And if, if, if you're here this morning and you, you're not walking with Jesus and 
you wouldn't um, consider yourself, you wouldn't say, I belong to Jesus, please consider the, the next couple of minutes here to be, to be an invitation, to trade in what the world thinks and says, and what other people think and say, and what the mirror says to you. To trade that, to put that aside, and to listen to what the God of the universe thinks about you. So this, I, when you guys came in, you should have gotten a piece of paper with Ephesians chapter one on it. And I wanted to have, I wanted you to have um, that whole section in front of you at once because it's not gonna fit all on one screen. If you didn't get one, go ahead and put your hand up and the ushers will be able to bring one, uh, bring one to you. We're gonna look at verses three through 10. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace, that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the time will have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. There is so much in there. Nate, could you put that word cloud up, please? Um, there is so so much in those verses. I have spent a great deal of time over the last couple years with all, with Ephesians chapter one, and just wrestling with my own identity and who, who I am in Christ. And as we, think, as we think through that, I want you to think in those seven verses, all the stuff that it says about who you are in Jesus. This is your identity. It's true in each and every one of you who belongs to Jesus, to each and every one of you who came to a point where we said, I'm tired of doing it on my own, and you just asked Jesus for his forgiveness, and he gave you his grace and his mercy. You are blessed. You have been given gifts that there's no way that you could, you deserve, and there's no way you could come up with them on your own. You are holy and blameless. God gives us traits that belong to him, that we don't possess, and that we could never Develop. You are forgiven small wrongdoings, big wrongdoings, regardless of what anybody says to you, regardless of what you say to yourself. In Christ, you are forgiven. God is pleased with you. In Christ, you put a smile on God's face. You were adopted into the family of God. That means that you have a place to belong. It means you have brothers and sisters. And yet, they're probably going to be annoying like regular brothers and sisters. But you have brothers and sisters who love you and who will be there for you. The word sonship is you're adopted as sons. And this is specific about the first male heir. The first male heir, folks, that's to all of us, but it's about the first male heir. We are, it would be cool to be royalty, right? In Christ, we are kids of the king. You have an inheritance. 
You have the power that rose Jesus from the grave. You have his provision. You have his protection. God chose you. He wants to be in relationship with you. It's not something he does begrudgingly. He chose you. There's so much stuff in those verses. God is at the, at the middle of that, that middle of that cloud because it's Him who draws you. But it says you were predestined. You know what that means? That means that before any of this came to be, that God thought of you. He loved you. He dreamt you up with all your talents and your abilities. He knew who you would be and he put you when and where you are. He created you on purpose for a purpose. Are you there? Are you guys grasping the extent of who you are in Jesus? You, you could be sitting there listening to me and looking at that and like, yeah, but that's, that's not me. That doesn't apply to me. Yes, it does. No, maybe for them, but not for me. It absolutely applies to you. If you are in Christ, it applies to you. Here's your challenge for the week, like we did two weeks ago. I want you to read those verses every day this week before you do anything else. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 10. I printed it out for you, so now you really have no excuse. <laughs> Take it home, read it, put it someplace where you're going to see it. Maybe even think about memorizing it. And, and just let, let those words of God, what God says about you, sink into your heart. You see, folks, it is simply impossible to hold on to the love of Christ and the identity that we have in Him and revenge and retaliation at the same time. We can't hold on to both those things. When we come to that place where we trust Jesus and we open up our hands of things like vengeance and revenge, we have that identity in Christ. He wants you to know that about yourselves. He wants you to know that about yourselves, not just for you, but for those around you. Because when you are, are secure in your identity, when you grasp onto the love of Jesus and your identity in Him, you are transformed from the inside out. And you are capable of the same love that Jesus shared with you, that he shares with you. And because you're capable of that, you're capable of shocking the world, of shocking the people around you into change, into giving their hearts and minds to Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for who you are. Um, we thank you for who we are in you. You are so good to us, Lord. We don't deserve, um, we don't deserve any of it but you freely gave it to us. There's nothing we could do to earn it. And once we're with you, there's nothing, nothing we could do that would make you take it away. So, Lord, we just we say thank you. And Father God, I ask through your Holy Spirit that you would work in the hearts and minds of people right now. And if there's any doubt, any insecurity in where they stand in you, Holy Spirit, that you would just wrap them up in a big old bear hug 
and they would know your presence right now. Lord Jesus, we ask um, that you would move in and through us with this love and that we would grasp onto it so tightly that we would be able to change the world around us for you and for your glory. Lord Jesus, we love you and we thank you.